Good morning, I'm Pastor Dan from Life Church. Today we're continuing in our message series, Live Out God's Purpose. We're learning about God's purpose for our lives from the book of Ephesians. Our message today is entitled, Transformed by Grace. Now what is grace? In the Bible, grace means the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. Let me say that again. Grace means the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. And so grace is, is really what the Bible is all about, from Genesis to Revelation. As we get started this morning, I'd like us to watch a short video about grace called Grace 101. any of you actually expect to pass this course? Not one of you has demonstrated a satisfactory understanding of Christianity. Not one. I'm afraid there's only one way to make you understand. Pull out a sheet of paper and in one minute explain the theological essence of Jesus's teachings. Get this or you fail the course. Pass the papers forward, please. Wrong. The students all failed that final quiz. They, they deserved an F, and yet the teacher gave them what they didn't deserve, an A. And that gives us a picture of what grace is all about. So now let's turn to the Bible to get a bird's eye view of grace. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they chose to sin by disobeying God. And the result was that their relationship with God was broken. And that broken relationship caused spiritual death, which would ultimately result in their physical death. The sin of Adam and Eve has, has caused each one of us to become a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is accepted. Every last person on earth has sinned. And if we stop there, this would be a very sad story, but there is good news. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. And so God loves each person so much that he didn't want them to be separated from him. He didn't want them to perish. And so he sent Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. Jesus died. He rose again so that sinners like you and me could have eternal life so we wouldn't perish and be separated from God forever and ever. And so God's grace is offered to, to every sinner on the planet as a free gift. And yet, God's gift of grace must be accepted in order to be effective. God's grace gift is accepted by believing in Jesus. Only those who believe in Jesus receive the grace gift of eternal life. Now, grace isn't just for salvation. It is for all of life. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so not only has God's grace brought salvation as a free gift, a free offer to every person, God's grace is given to us as believers to have the power to live godly lives pleasing to God. And as we have received God's grace, so God helps us to share his grace with others. And so today we're going to look more closely at how we, as believers, can be transformed by grace. Let's look at, first of all, how we are made alive by grace. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now this chapter starts out in verse 1 with the words, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And that statement applies to, to every person who has ever lived. Now in verse 5, Paul writes that we were dead in our trespasses. Paul includes himself. He was dead in his trespasses and sins before he submitted his life to Jesus Christ. Every person who is not a believer in Jesus is spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead means that they have no relationship with God in this life. And if they remain in a spiritually dead condition when they die, they will experience spiritual death in hell for in eternity. Now Paul in Ephesians is writing to believers whom God has made alive with Christ. And as Christ was raised from the dead, so believers are made alive, spiritually raised from the dead. We are made alive through God's grace. Verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so these verses make it clear that the way a spiritually dead person receives God's grace is through faith. Even though God's grace is freely offered to everyone, everyone does not receive it. This faith that is required to receive God's grace is faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. Faith involves committing your entire life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Salvation is a gift from God, 
not a reward, not a payment for any work or good deed that we have done. If we had to do some work to receive salvation, then, then we could boast about it. The truth is that no matter what we've done in life, no matter how great our sins, through faith, we can receive God's grace. And why does God save us? Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God initially, he created us alive as human beings. He created Adam and Eve to walk with him, but because of their sin and because of our sin, we died. But when we are saved, we are recreated. Jesus calls it being born again into the family of God. And we are saved for a purpose, not simply to go to heaven when we die. We are saved, this verse tells us, for good works. That is a life of serving God. And God has prepared the good works that you and I are to do from before the creation. And he has equipped and empowered you to accomplish things for him throughout your life. That is God's purpose. That is God's plan. That is why God saved you and made you alive by his grace. Now, many people think that different religions are simply different ways of reaching God, but nothing could be further from the truth. True Christianity, as taught in the Bible, is a unique religion, different from all others. In every other religion, other than Christianity, you must do some work in order to be saved, to go to heaven, to reach nirvana, or any other afterlife. Even in some so-called Christian churches, it's taught that you must do certain works, certain deeds, certain actions in order to be saved. That's not true. True Christianity is the only religion in which you are saved simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, Christianity is the only religion in which we worship a living founder. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Krishna is dead. But Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And what makes Christianity different? As we saw in the video and we've been speaking about, it's simply God's grace. God's grace makes a way for sinners like you and me and everyone else to be saved, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. And so this reality of God's grace should encourage every one of us, and it should motivate us to reach out to those around us who need his grace. His grace is offered to every person. Now let's turn to some of the results of of God's grace at work in our lives. Not only are we headed for heaven, but God's grace transforms us in this life. His grace unites us as one holy temple. Let's move down to verse 19. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so, those who are not saved, those who have not been transformed by God's grace, they're, they're strangers, they're, they're aliens to God's family. But when a person is saved by grace, they become children of God and become members of God's household. People are, who are saved become citizens of the kingdom of God. In fact, they become saints. And that's a name for every believer in the Bible, not just a select few. 
when a person is saved, it's it's not just about a relationship between them and God that has begun. It is a relationship between them and God and the rest of God's family, which are found in the church. Now, in this passage, the family of God, the church is described as a holy temple. Verse 20, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so this holy temple or church is, is built upon a solid foundation that was laid at its very beginning. And this temple has as its foundation the spirit-filled apostles and prophets who wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus was and is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that massive stone that holds the entire foundation together. And as Jesus Christ is still alive, he, he still serves as the cornerstone of the holy temple. The teaching of the apostles and prophets remains in every age. And God raises up apostles and prophets in our day to provide the foundation of his church as they speak God's word. You see, the foundation of this temple, this holy temple foundation of the church will not change. It's built upon the eternal word of God. Ephesians 2 verse 21 says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And so upon this foundation, each believer is then laid down as a living stone upon the foundation, upon the cornerstone. God places every believer in the proper place to effectively function in his household. And so each believer is joined not only to Jesus, but to other believers. And this holy temple is not static. It grows both in size and in power as it is built by God. And what is the purpose of a temple? Well, we learn from the Old Testament, the purpose of a temple is to be a place where the presence of God dwells. And so this holy temple that you and I as believers are part of is being built by God so that he might live in it by his Holy Spirit. And so just as God desires for every believer to be filled with his spirit, so he desires to fill his church, his holy temple, with that same spirit. God's grace unites believers as one holy temple. Now let's think a little more deeply about the foundation of the church. Jesus taught us that we are to build our lives on the rock or foundation of obedience to his word, the word of God. He taught in a parable that people can build their lives either on the sand or on a rock. And when the storms of life come, only the house built upon the rock will stand firm. The house built upon the sand will be destroyed. And Jesus said, we build our house, we build our lives on God's word by, on the rock, by obeying God's word. The foundation of the church never changes. It's based on the inerrant word of God. Jesus himself is called the word of God. And so in order to have unity in a local church, we must believe and base our lives only on God's word. 
The more that we study, the more that we understand, the more that we put into practice God's word, the more unified we will be. In order to have unity between churches, they also must be based on the same word of God. The more unity, the more that God's spirit can work in our church and between churches. All 370,000 assemblies of God churches across the world, they're unified because we hold to the same fundamental beliefs based on God's word. When we're talking to another person about spiritual issues, how can we resolve differences? Simply by using God's word and his grace as the foundation of our discussion. The Holy Spirit can help you to explain God's word and bring unity by his grace. Not only does God's grace provide salvation and unite us in his church, it enables us to embrace a, a new lifestyle. Ephesians 4 verse 22 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now it would be great if we became perfect when we got saved, but we all know it doesn't work that way. And so Paul is writing to believers here in the church at Ephesus. He instructs them to put off their old self. Their old self was was the old them that lived a life of sin and has sinful desires. Each of us has an old self. The old self does not automatically disappear. We all know that. And we must, by God's grace, put off that old self and stop following its wrong desires. And how do we put off the old self? Well, the first key in verse 23 is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The way that we think influences both our attitudes and our actions. How can we be renewed in the spirit of our minds? The simple answer is to choose to obey God's word in every circumstance. And that involves resisting temptation with God's word, as Jesus did. It involves repenting when we sin. And through studying God's word, through prayer, being involved in the church family, the way that we think will be renewed. And when our minds are renewed, our thoughts are renewed, our desires will change to doing God's will. Now, this is not an easy fix. It's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but it's a long-term process of becoming more like Jesus. And so we must choose to put off our old self, become renewed in our minds, and verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true holiness, uh, righteousness and holiness. And so we are to put off the old self like an old set of clothes, old set of dirty, worn out, torn clothes. And we put on the new self like a new set of clothes. And what is the new self? This verse says that it is in the likeness of God. The old self is corrupt through sinful desires, but the new self is righteous and holy. The new self is to be like Jesus. And how can that happen? Well, it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And as we yield to, as we're filled with the Spirit, we, we put on this new self. And when the new self is on, we, we leave the old self behind. Again, this is not a one-time operation. It's a continual lifestyle. 
then how can we have the strength to embrace our new lifestyle, the strength to become more and more like Jesus? It's through God's grace. Now, there are many areas of our lives that these principles apply to. The last part of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'd encourage you to read it this week, gives us instructions in many areas of life how to put off the old self and put on the new self. A couple of examples. Verse 25 tells us to put away falsehood and speak the truth. Stop lying and make a decision to always speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Verse 26 tells us to not let the sun go down on our anger. Anger has to do with relationship issues. And so rather than staying angry into the next day or the next week, we're to seek reconciliation. We're to seek forgiveness rather than letting anger and, and bitterness fester. Verse 30 tells us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we keep on acting like the old self, it, it hurts, it grieves the Holy Spirit. But we please the Holy Spirit when we put on the new self. The new self is, is kind to others. It's forgiving. It speaks the truth in love. Now this putting off the old self and putting on the new can, can only be done by God's grace. Now some people think that they have to put on a new self in order to be saved, but that doesn't work. You can never be good enough to be saved. Salvation comes not through doing good things, but solely through faith by grace. And when you are saved, God's Spirit gives you the grace to put on that new self. God's Spirit gives you the grace to do the good works that he has planned for you. And those good works are the evidence, the proof that God has saved you by his grace. God desires for us to embrace this new lifestyle. Now, Jesus came that you and I may and and many others could be transformed by God's grace. God has made us as believers in Jesus alive by his grace. It's not that we were good enough or special in any way. He simply loved us so much. He offered his grace gift to us and, and to everyone. And those who believe in Jesus open that grace gift and are born again. God's grace then unites believers into his family, into the church, his holy temple, and we are built together on the foundation of God's word and Jesus Christ. The church is the place where God's spirit dwells in a special way. And God calls us to reach many others with his grace and bring them into the family of God. Those who are believers embrace a new lifestyle. It affects and impacts their whole lives. No longer do we live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus. We are continually putting off our old self and putting on the new self and becoming more and more like Jesus. Our good works don't save us, but they are the evidence that we are saved. And I pray that God may give us opportunities and the power to see many more transformed by his grace. Now this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to repent, to become a follower of Jesus, to become born again. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ or you'd like to recommit your life to him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in a minute. Now, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to, first of all, admit that you've sinned. Secondly, believe that Jesus died 
to forgive you, rose from the dead, and commit your life to him. And so let's pray together. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things. I've been following my plan for my life, not yours. And I ask for you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven, and he rose from the dead. Come into my life, Jesus. Forgive my sins. I commit my life to following you as my Lord and Savior. And today, Father, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace that is freely offered to each and every one of us. We thank you that it has transformed us as believers from being dead in our trespasses and sins to be alive in you. God, we thank you that we are being built together in this holy temple, built together with other believers, built together as children of God, members of your household. And we thank you that as we base our lives on the word of God, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, we can have unity with other believers. We can grow in our walk with you. And you can continue to build this holy temple. You can continue to build your church across the world. And finally, God, we pray that we would embrace this new lifestyle of growing to become more and more like Jesus each and every day, putting off the old self, having our minds renewed in our thinking by your spirit and by your word and putting on the new self that looks more and more like Jesus. And God, we, we thank you that as you are changing us by your grace, you're going to help us to reach out to others who need grace in their lives, who need to be forgiven, who need to be born again and come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We pray that you would help us to reach out to those around us. We pray that you would draw them to yourself, to your church, to your gospel, in our country, in our city, in the year 2021. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you made a commitment to Jesus Christ uh, or would like more information, I'd encourage you to connect with us via the link below this video. We'll pray for you and offer you some helpful materials. You can find out more information on our website, lifechurchstlouis.org. Our Sunday morning services are now open at 10 a.m. at 15036 Clayton Road in Chesterfield. You're invited to attend if you live in the St. Louis area. Online donations can help us to reach more people for Jesus. And they're available for you to give at give.lcstl.org. Now next Sunday, we're continuing in this message series, Live Out God's Purpose with the message, Spiritual Gifts in Action. As spiritual gifts are grace gifts to us, and I invite you to join us then. God bless and have a great week.